wow, you guys are all ready for today. Hey, I, um, I'm kind of new to Kansas City. I lived here for about 18 months. I hail from the land of the stinking onion. Did you know that's what Chicago is, really means, the stinking onion? Yeah. I, I come from Chicago, and um, I, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Chicago right now on a day like today. So you can see its glory and its goodness. And, and as I'm saying these things, I want you to realize that every single one of us has some sort of tendency to have allegiances to where you grew up. So if you didn't grow up in Chicago, you missed it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, you have these things about wherever it is that you grew up. You know, not everybody grew up in Kansas City around here. So many people uh, have moved to America, but I grew up in Chicago. And um, I have tried my hardest to feel at home here in Kansas City. But try as I may, when we moved to Chicago, from Chicago to Kansas City, it meant learning some new things. First thing I had to learn was where to find pizza. And you know what I found out? Change my mind, everybody, but Minsky's is no Lou Malnati's. <laughs> Change my mind. I dare you. I'm coming for you on this one, all right? More controversial. I would love for you to change my mind on this. But I find, even after 18 months of living here, I still prefer a Chicago hot dog to burn ends. <laughs> I love burn ends, but it, man, I'm, my last meal is going to be Portillo's, all right? It's going to be Portillo's. Um, and, and coming from Chicago, I, you know, I've spent a, a, a possibly a third of my life, you know, in, in Chicago. Uh, I, have a, I have a deep affinity for, um, you know, Chicago has a, a certain, um, what's the word, a panache? Do you know what that word is? Panache for our, our sports teams. And our, our, our favorite Chicago football team, everybody, you know, duh. Yeah, you don't have to be a Chicagoan to appreciate the, 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 the duh bears, right? Dicka. I guarantee you today my dad will be on his recliner in Chicago going, when's Dicka getting in the game? That's, that's how we do in Chicago. It's just a total, a total, you know, last time the Bears won a Super Bowl, I wasn't even born. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's just a, it's just a, a thing. It's just a thing. But my family moved. We moved to Kansas City in the middle of the summer. And uh, it meant it was just a couple of weeks before we were confronted with this thing called Red Friday. Nobody told me. I, I remember dropping my kids off at school and feeling this inescapable reality that every single person got the memo except the Jacobson family. I knew about Black Friday. As a pastor, I knew about Good Friday. I'd never known that there was a thing called Red Friday. And, and, and I'll be really serious with you. I mean, I'm, this is a serious thing. I felt for the first time how not from Kansas City I was on Red Friday, that first time. I had this experience, this like otherly experience that I was not from here. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have the same vested interest. And so here's what I did. Um, I dropped my kids off. I kind of, I did a quick Google search to figure out what was going on. <laughs> found out that this was like a thing, like McDonald's sells flags on Red Friday. That's a crazy deal. 
Um, and I, I found the quickest, closest rally house. I bought this. I got my family, I got my family all their own chief swag. I dropped so much money. I was like, God, you've called us to the city. This is what the city does. I guess I'm going to do this too. And I remember, you know, I wore this on a, on a Zoom, we were still kind of Zoom calling back then, and I wore this on a Zoom call with our board of directors the, the couple days later. And they all commented, wow, Dan, you're really adopting to Kansas City really quickly. And I was like, yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> I mean, I'm all in for the barbecue, and I'm all in for, you know, but uh, this is fine. That's, we'll do that. But here's what happened. I want to just be really blunt with you guys. Being someone who came from a different place, kind of a little bit of an outsider, um, the, the old home dies hard, right? And, and so um, I would show up to church on Sunday and I would be like, oh yeah, go Chiefs. And I'd go home and you know what I'd do? I would watch the Bears. <laughs> I would. We would, we, would watch, we would watch the Bears because that's our team. And then it kind of became this thing where I was like, you know, slowly became, found myself putting the thing on living amongst y'all, I realized that my TV gets the Chiefs too. So we started to watch the Bears and the Chiefs. It only took one game for me to realize how good the Chiefs actually are. It actually, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. Whatever, Justin Fields is our future. Uh, it only took me one game to, 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 I literally looked at Kristen and I go, so that's what football looks like. <laughs> and, and I had this experience. I had this experience where I had, I tried it out. I, 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 I tasted and I'd seen that it was, it was good. It was good. And my um, family was confused. I wore this to Christmas, not too many weeks later, and my dad looked at me and he was like, what are you, some sort of Chiefs fan? <laughs> and my friends were like, you've only lived there for six months. What a, you, you, you can't betray your home roots. And, and I, I wanted to say to them, no, you, you don't understand. Like, it's, a, it's okay, this is, this is where I live. It's okay to root for the team that's in my hometown. And I realized that something had been happening on the inside of me that was changing me so that it wasn't just putting on a jersey or a hoodie that made me feel an affinity. There was something slowly happening from the inside that was changing me. Um, my friends wondered, how could you jump ship so fast? Are you really so changed from how you grew up? And, and this is... I want to turn the corner and stop talking about football for a second because I'm trying to set us all up for a spiritual uh, illustration. This is what Peter is addressing in, in this letter that he's written to the people who are scattered about Pontus and Cappadocia and Asia Minor, this, this modern-day Turkey. These are people who have changed from the inside out. And the world around them didn't understand it. The people back home didn't understand it. And they wanted to know, how, can, how is it possible that you can actually be a different person just because of your affinity for someone? And so Peter 
has, has, has given them all of this instruction, all of this, this celebration about what's so great about salvation, that it reveals God's mercy, it, it brings about our joy, and it satisfies the longings of history that, that God has decided to work in this world to get his victory, all right? On a day like day, we gotta remember it's Jesus' victory that we're all celebrating. And, and so he tells them, you know, this, is, this salvation is your hope, no matter if you feel like a stranger in a foreign land. But um, when, they, when they wonder what's so new about these Jesus followers, like the, the world was asking, what's so new about you? Are you? Have you just switched jerseys from Rome to Jesus? Peter wants them to know that there's something fundamentally happening inside of you when you come to faith that you become a new person. <laughs> I want to talk to all of us this morning about those, to, especially to those of us who have already taken the step to follow Jesus with our lives. I want you to see what's so new or what should be new about you. There's a deep change that Peter pulls out here in the next couple of verses about what happens inside the life of a believer and, and what does this living hope do for those who have been born Again, I'm going to give us uh, four realms today. Actually, Peter's going to give us four realms today for the Jesus follower where, where God changes us from the inside out. How many people know that change on the inside leads to a change on the outside? That's where we're going. I would love for you to join me in verse 13 of chapter 1 right now. Uh, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace that is to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all that you do. The first realm I want to, if you're a note taker, this is a great day to take notes because I'm just going to sketch out for us very quickly the realms in which God changes us. The first realm that Peter has called out here is the, the realm of our minds. He says, set, set your minds with minds that are alert and fully sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you and Jesus will be revealed. People who experience the new birth of salvation have renewed minds. They begin to renew their minds. Old patterns of thinking give way to new patterns of hope and faith. For, forgiveness, when we receive the forgiveness of God, it is this power in our life to rewire our minds to see that, that God's love had paid the price for all of our wrongdoings and we have a brand new start. It's a mind game that Jesus changes us. We have new people because we have new minds. Um, one of the, as a, as a pastor, and just as a, you know, you may have had this experience too, talking to some of your family members. Um, one of the fears that I keep bumping into whenever I talk to people who are processing Jesus, what it would mean for their lives, is they think they're going to become brainwashed. I remember a friend sitting at my, my table a couple of years ago. We had a meal together and afterwards we were just talking about life. And he was, um, this is a guy who believed that there was no God and had all these questions about my faith and what I did. And I remember him saying that he was really interested in Jesus, but he had, this, he had this hesitation. He said he didn't want to become part of the church because he didn't think he could get his mind around certain political approaches to the world that he observed many Jesus followers in our region possessing. And the mind change that we're talking about is not 
in alignment of all of our philosophies. Thank God for that. Thank God that you don't have to come to Jesus and line up together on the same way of thinking about the world. Um, to, to set our mind, Peter's not talking about preferences, petty things like, you know, burn ends or hot dogs. Or which phone maker you like. Not even which political party you think would do a better job running the country. Peter, Peter is talking when he says that your mind should be prepared for action or, or your mind should be alert and fully sober. He's talking about the foundational change that takes place deep inside of us when we realize that our entire hope rests on Jesus. When we come to faith in Jesus, we're born again, our minds are renewed, our mindset changes. Specifically, I want to say it this way, we see with an eternal perspective. Everything that we experience in this world is transitory. Everything that we experience in our lives is, is, is fading away. And yet we have this rich hope for those of us who have trained our minds to look through the lens by which God looks. He has a long, patient view of history. And he is ushering everything to its appointed end in time. And that is the day when Jesus will come back and rule over all things. To have a mind that is alert, this is what Peter says, it really means that our minds are prepared. We've gathered our thoughts about our lives. Fully sober, it means that we're focused and we're grounded. Um, the picture here is someone who waves of discouragement and waves of disappointment and waves of chaos can come at them and the intoxicated mind will be pushed from one side to the other and will wobble, but the mind that is set on the hope of Jesus when these things press in on our lives stands resolutely firm, looking forward to the day when Jesus will deal with everything that faces us today. It's our hope. The focal point of our minds is the hope that Jesus will finish what he started. He will fully heal and save us. And this is the story of you. And this is your story. If you've trusted in Jesus. And I wonder if your mind has ever been tuned to this story it, or, or if your mind is still tuned to the story that you've inherited from this world. Our hope is that we have a renewed mind in Jesus. So, so Peter says, set your hope on Jesus. The grace that he'll bring when he shows up. I'm reminded of... Um, I know I'm young, but I, I remember the days when you had to get up off the chair and like turn the dial on the TV. Do you remember those tube TVs with the little antennas and they never really worked? You got two channels at once and you had to set the channel. And sometimes you got the wrong channel set on the VCR when you tried to record the game or you tried to do the thing. It blows my mind that there's going to be other broadcasting options for you today at five o'clock. But it's possible for you not to set your TV or not to set your viewing to the thing that you think you're going to be watching. But to tune in requires a little bit of dedication. It requires a little bit of intention. It requires a little bit of foresight. You got to know which broadcast network is going to, you got to know how to stream the thing. You got to make sure you go to your friend's house that's got the gig speed internet, okay? <laughs> and this is the same, the same thought for us. Have you ever thought 
about your life through the lens of eternity. That's what Peter's encouragement is. To change your mind. Change your mind. Um, Peter says that we ought to keep our minds sharply focused on the fact that our greatest hope is that Jesus is returning one day and he will bring about the fullness of our salvation and his grace that day. That one day his whole healing plan will be finished. And this honestly gives me hope for today because when, I, when you or I face ridicule from other parents on our kids' teams for having a Jesus-first approach to your schedule, you can take the long view of your life and remember your hope isn't set on your kid being in some local tournament. It's set on the fact that eternity is secured by my immovable, incredible God. When you face a hard diagnosis or a health challenge, you know that Jesus has great plans ahead in a world that does not have sickness cancer or disease, your mind can be set on hope. And when it's set on hope, you watch out. He unfolds the whole world. There's a reason Peter begins with the mind because um, when your mind changes, only then can your actions change. In verse 14, I want to keep moving. He describes our new birth from the family in, in this perspective. He says this, as obedient children. Remember, new birth brings us into the family of God, a new inheritance, we have a new father. We are obedient children. We do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in Chicago. I mean, when you lived, just making sure you're paying attention. When you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, watch this, you're born into a new family with a new nature. Your nature follows the nature of your father. Just as he who called you, God called you to follow him. He is holy. So you be holy in all that you do. Our minds change so we have a different eternal perspective. But here's the second thing. The second realm in which you change from the inside out as you follow Jesus in this new birth is that your will begins to change. Your will changes. Every single one of us, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but every single one of us battles our own will. I know it's true. Um, you've got your vices, whether it's... Um, Yelling at the TV when you don't want to, whether it's eating too many Oreos, whether it's sleeping in, whether it's spending too much money, whatever your thing is, we all battle with our own wills. Shibu brought this up and, and it's really something that we as a church want to encourage parents in because parents not only battle their own wills, they battle their kids' wills. Parents, you know what I mean? You ever get in a shouting match with a two-year-old? That shouting match is just as much about your own will as it is their will. As a child grows, one of the challenges of parenting is to prove to your children that obedience to their parents will actually bring prosperity to them. It's this like impossible task that if you just do what I tell you to do, I will reward you richly. You'll have a fully funded college experience. You might even get a car when you're 16. Just do what I say for the love. And we're trying to teach them that they don't have to be the only ones who are worried about themselves. That, that they can trust authority. Peter um, tells us that as obedient children ourselves, we ought to be trusting the one who is in authority, who is, who is holy. You know, one of the telltale signs of immaturity in a person is the belief that one day you'll outgrow obedience. You can tell how mature you are directly proportionate to how independent you think you're able to be. 
This is why some, um, you know, 40-year-old men are walking around as children, emotionally immature, trying to run their own lives, never having learned the lesson that your life is not just about you. Maturity takes into consideration other people around you and realizes that, that a mature person can handle the weight of themselves as well as the others around them. This is um, what P.T. Forsyth, the British theologian from 100 years ago, he said this. I think it's a really great, great quote. He says, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. That true freedom in this life is not found in our own independence, our own ability to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, as long as we don't hurt anybody. That's not freedom. That is immaturity. Rather, what Peter says is that we are obedient children, no longer living in the ignorant ways that we came out of, but we act in the way of our Father. We've adopted a new will. We're growing in our will being changed so that now not only do I love God, I want to live the way God wants me to live. This is absolutely absurd. If you don't follow Jesus, I don't bother you. I don't blame you for checking out right here. Because this is so contrary to our desires. And I'll tell you this, as a 15-year-old, as a before I really truly gave my life to Jesus, I remember there were some desires in my life that I had that I, they were just not the way. If God wanted me this way, I was going this way. And I remember there was nothing inside of me that wanted to go his way. Until the moment that I surrendered to Jesus and said, wow, you truly have mercy for me. I deserve justice, but you give me grace. And you're so good. And the moment that I came to Christ and started to follow him, slowly the inside changed and I wanted to do the things that he wanted me to do. It was a change on the inside that birthed a change on the outside. And this is, um, this gets us to an interesting discussion. If you look back at Verse 15, it says, just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. As someone who's born again, our new character is the same as God's character. We are to be holy. I'm not going to have you show, show hands, but um, I'm curious if you feel holy today. Because if ever there was a word that just lost me, holy is that word. We, type, we tend to think of, if you came from the type of church background that I did, where it was like very like shove Jesus in your face type of things. Holiness is like this unattainable moral reality. This sinless per, uh, perfection. And I want to actually help us understand that that's not the goal of Holiness. To be holy, what Peter is talking about here, the holiness that he describes about our Father is a holiness that allows us to be separate from everything around us. God is holy. That is just a true statement of who God is. He is distinguished from evil. He never does evil. He doesn't endorse evil. God hates evil. And he changes our will so that we too desire to live lives that are separate lives from what we see around us. To separate ourselves from evil, but also to be set apart for God, for living life his way. Before I knew God, I didn't want the things of God. But he has turned me 
I remember the ambitions and the dreams that I had. And it's funny how my ambitions and my dreams before I found Jesus were, were I thought, so individually motivated, but they were just the same as everybody else's. I wanted to be rich, I wanted to be attractive, and I wanted to be rich. <laughs> I actually didn't want to be different than everybody else. I, didn't, I wanted to swim in the same stream of our culture, but I wanted to swim faster than everybody else. I wanted to be out there in first place. I wanted to be the best version of same that I possibly could be. But God, this is what's so amazing about God. God has so much better for us than just same. And he's going to push us here. Look at what, what Peter says. He pushes us here. I'm going to read this. It's kind of a longer section. This is the entire logic of Peter's argument. It kind of funnels in right here. Peter has brought us to an apex of his logical thinking. What came before, these first two kind of build up to this point. The next two, they will come down from this point. Listen, listen closely. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. That just simply means because God is separate and distinct and holy and he looks after what you do, respect his wishes. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed. <laughs> Don't be offended here, everybody, but this is, this is true. From the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Everybody say, ouch. You weren't redeemed by your cultural traditions by your love for Portillo's hot dogs, by the attitudes that you inherited from your parents. You weren't redeemed by being a chip off the old block. We were redeemed by something way better. Look at this, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ. Why did Jesus have to die? Is one of the questions that we hear so often. It's because the blood of Jesus has power in it to bring us back from the dead. You were redeemed. You were bought back from this empty way of life to this full life, this lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and your hope are in God. Before we were redeemed, we had a way of life that was just going with the flow of our culture. We were all swimming in the same stream. There's an empty way of life that Peter says, handed down from our ancestors. But when we're called by God to see his love through Jesus and to see his love that paid a price, the precious price he played with his own son, our eyes are open to see this new life and how we get to live and we want to live for God. We see the full life is not found in imitating the ways of everybody else around us, but actually by trusting Jesus, knowing that God sees our lives, he will, record, he will reward us according to our obedience to his will. And this should not cause us, just for the record, this should not cause us to hate the world around us or to shun the culture we live in. Too many followers of Jesus, in an attempt to be separate from the world, throw grenades at the same places that they themselves come from. I want to go on record and say, it's okay that you're wearing your chief swag to church today as long as you remember your Savior didn't wear number 15. 
so we're gonna, we're gonna capitalize on this moment in our society just to say how fun it is that our city is in the center of the spotlight, that our team is in the center of the spotlight. But we're gonna keep our minds focused on eternity. We're gonna keep our wills in obedience to Jesus. And we're going to appropriately swim against the stream of our culture in the places where we can to show how holy and good our God is. Third, third, verse 22. You guys hanging with me? Got just a few more seconds. Peter uh, pushes us to a third realm. He says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, here's the command, love one another deeply from the heart. Let me just play with this for a second here. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, right? Changed mind, changed will. So that, here's a result, you have sincere love. Now, I hate to bring this, oh gosh. The word is philos. It's the same word we get the city Philadelphia from. but it's okay. Brotherly love, right? Right, brotherly love. Like you love your family. You, you fight with your family. You spar with your family, but you love your family. Like isn't one of the reasons you're tuning in today to see family, two brothers going after it on the same, that's like part of the thing today. It's like a family brotherly love thing. Since you've done all this, you, your mind has changed. Your will has changed. You've got sincere love for each other. Sincere, not hypocritical. Like this, not fake love. It's this like genuine love. Love. And we miss this because in English, we've got one word for love, it's love. In Greek, there's four. This is a different word. This is not Philadelphia. This is not philos. This is agape, which is this divine love. This love that only comes from God. This love, that's, that, this love that can see through the, the hard exterior of a person down to their soul and receive them no matter what. When we come to Jesus and we're born again, our minds change and our wills change, but I want you to see this, our hearts change too. You get a new heart. You're not like the Grinch that needs a bigger heart. You get a new heart. A heart that isn't, it's not possible for someone without Jesus to love in a way that is divine-like. The world will never love one another with this agape type of love that is reserved for those who follow Jesus and have the spirit inside of them. And, and, and follow Jesus, I want you to know this. If you follow Jesus, you have the capacity inside of you to love without condition. It stuns me that the world thinks they're doing a better job of loving without condition than the church is. Than followers of Jesus who actually have the power to love without pretense. And when we come to the Father as obedient children who have, have new minds, our, our love changes. I am really grateful for this. It allows us to live in harmony with one another. It allows us to be for each other. It allows us to have a rooting interest in other people's lives. Um, someone recently came up to me here at Heartland and said, Dan, I need to apologize to you, and I'm sorry I have to say this, but when you first started here, I wasn't sure I liked you. <laughs> I think the direct quote was, I thought you were a square. 
I love that. He says, but I've had a change of heart. This was the whole conversation over coffee. I walked away kind of confused. Since then, we've talked again. I love, I love this person that told me this. I'm not even offended at it because in this moment, the person told me less about me and more about God's exciting work that's going on in their own heart. That is a God thing to take your affections and put them towards someone else who loves Jesus. Jesus said that, that the world will know that we are his followers by the love that we have for one another. It's a sincere love from the heart, which means we have a real interest in each other's lives. The early Jesus followers took Peter's exhortation to love one another very seriously. They cared for one another when they were sick. They, they pooled their resources. They celebrated one another's accomplishments. They found ways to use their lives to enrich the lives of others around them. They went out and they brought in those who were discarded by the world and raised them in this community. Love for the, these followers of Jesus was not a luxury. I think sometimes in our world today, we kind of think like, yeah, it would be nice if we loved each other. But I don't got time for that. <laughs> But you don't know the, the problem that this person causes. And gosh, I just want to go to a place where I can be accepted and not judged. Love is not a luxury. Love is the evidence of a changed life. It's the hallmark of a changed life is a deep love for people. Okay, uh, I'm going to wrap this up here. Our minds change. We see the world in light of eternity. Our wills change. We gladly pattern our life after our fathers and our hearts change. My interests are in the welfare of other people. And then finally this, the last realm. It's found in the last couple of verses. I'm going to take us into chapter two here. It says this, for you, for you have been born again. There it is, that word again. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For, and then he, he quotes, all people are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tested and tasted that the Lord is good. So we're born again by faith in Jesus and like babies grow physically, we must in this new life grow up to maturity spiritually. This is the last realm is that we, we change in our spirits. You know, the entirety of your person, if you were to talk to someone who, who is a, a doctor or a philosopher or, or a psychiatrist, they would say that you, you have emotion, you have intellect, you have will. Jesus changes all of these when we come to him, but, but he does this through the spirit. Your spirit changes. Like newborn babies, we crave pure spiritual milk, Peter says, so that you can mature in faith. You know that what you give yourself to becomes what you crave. Peter offers us a comparison for our soul's food. He offers five attitudes that are chock full of empty calories and artificial sweeteners. I don't know if you saw that in there. Malice, deceit, and hypocrisy. These are all attitudes where we lie to other people in attempts to make ourselves look better than we are. Or envy. 
which is putting other people or other people's things better than ourselves. Or slander, which is putting other people in last place with our words. All of these actions and attitudes are threats to our spiritual maturity. And on the other hand, pure spiritual milk is the word of God with which we've heard with our ears and our soul is embraced and has stood the test of time. It's like nourishment to our souls. And how do you grow up into salvation? How do I grow up into salvation? How do I make sure that I'm not just putting somebody's name on my back, but I'm actually rooted in the life that they've given me? How do we let God change us for good? Well, <laughs> you receive his word. You, you, you listen and ingest and contemplate and meditate and memorize and wrestle with and argue with and obey his word. This is what we do here at Heartland. On a weekly basis, we preach the word of God and it's like food for our souls. And I kind of consider this moment here uh, sort of like the chef has prepared a, a smorgasbord of a meal for you to receive in your souls today from God to know how to live your life. We highlight the goodness of God. We, we help us mature. We're facing the challenges of this word, world with God's word. And here's the big idea. The world is going to work against our faith. This default lifestyle that we've inherited by culture, it's, it's, a, it's a, a default, it's fine. But it's nothing compared to the life that Jesus brings when we see his resurrected ways. He wants us to grow up from the inside out, to learn to see with our mind's eye, to, to love and live in light of eternity, to obey with all of our will his commands, to learn to love with the entire depths of our hearts and to crave in our spirit his enduring word. Leave you with this. The mature follower of Jesus is not easily intimidated because they have their minds set on the hope that is coming in Jesus. The mature follower of Jesus isn't easily swayed. They are holy like their father. The mature follower of Jesus isn't easily offended. They have a patience and compassionate heart for people. The mature follower of Jesus is not desperate for people's approval, but is simply desperate to hear more from God. Because we've had a tiny little taste of how good he is. And we've looked at his life and we've all said together, that's what living is really like. So are you growing? Are you seeing God change you? God's patient, but if you let him, it'll happen faster than you know it. If you've seen how good he is, then let him make you a new person, really a new person from the inside.